This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yeah, we're on strike. We're not making a dance for thought shit. Sorry, we're not making a dance for it. We just gonna let them keep flailing. I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Madison Malone-Kircher. You're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. Madison, how are you How are you feeling today? You know that scene in The Devil Wears Prada where Emily Blunt gets a cold? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. I have that cold. Oh, no. Um... <laughs> And I can't be sick because I'm wearing Valentino. Uh, And by wearing Valentino, I mean recording this podcast. So please bear, bear with me in my very snotty tone. I mean, Madison, you're sick. I'm also sick. And by sick, I mean I can't stop thinking about this specific tweet, which is a sickness I think we're all familiar with. It's been two years since this tweet came out. This tweet comes from, um... At Fox Mulders, and the tweet is, some of y'all never saw your reflection in a snow-covered hill, and it shows. (laughs) Rachel, this tweet has, like, no faves. Yes, I don't know why it's been stuck in my head. The thing is, I don't even think I faved it. And yet, I remember this tweet every two months, and I'm just like, and it shows. I think it shows for me as well, because the thing about this is it also makes me remember that this lyric makes no fucking sense. We all are just sitting here listening to Landslide, beautiful song, Dixie Chicks version is better. Ooh. And none of us ever thought to pause and think, what the fuck does it mean to see your reflection in a snow-covered hill? As the member of the podcast who grew up in the snow-covered hills. I grew up in Chicago. Don't even fucking play me. I've seen what snow. The, the great mountains of Chicago? <laughs> it's a hill, not a mountain. <laughs> We have hills. <laughs> okay, not to geek out, but technically New York State has only one mountain that meets the geog- geographic, geologic, the height requirements for being an actual mountain. <laughs> okay, so you haven't seen mountains either. No, but I've seen a lot of snow-covered fucking hills. And have you seen your reflection in them? I have. Are you joking right now? No, Are I'm just, just stoned. Saying this? Are you just saying <laughs> I was like, are you just saying this to fuck with me? You have not seen your fucking reflection in a snow-covered hill. I mean, someone did say it was a reference to cocaine, which I think makes the most sense. But I just, I I feel this show is now a way for me to get out my personal vendettas. And as much as I love both Stevie Nicks and Landslide, it makes no sense. I'm so sorry. Since I assume we're not actually talking about cocaine, the Dixie Chicks, Fleetwood Mac... Or Stevie Nicks today on the show. What are we going to talk about? Today's show is um, all about the history of the labor movement in the United States. That is right. We are finally talking about Eugene V. Debs, the Pullman strike of 1894. and Rachel, 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 Rachel. <laughs> this is not a new season of Slow Burn. That's not what we're talking about. But even though I'm sad about that, we are actually still going to be talking about labor and about strikes, specifically the ongoing strike happening on TikTok right now. 
We got multiple requests for this episode. Thank you to Keith, Kiki, and at JoyousB for DMing us on Twitter and asking us to cover the black TikTok creators who are currently refusing to choreograph a dance challenge for Megan Thee Stallion's Thought Shit, a song tailor-made to go viral on the app. Tired of watching white TikTok stars go viral with their work, black TikTok collectively decided to kind of just step back and say, nah, we're good. Uh, They're organizing under the hashtag Black TikTok strike. And without them, thought shit just isn't blowing up the way it should, demonstrating just how simultaneously powerful and undervalued Black influencers are on the platform. Thought shit? More like not shit. I'm I'm sorry. You have that because you're sick. (laughs) (laughs) So how did this strike happen? Who's participating? And what does it mean for the future of the app? We're going to get into all of it. As you can hear, Thoughtshit is both incredibly catchy and uh, compulsively danceable. Another anthem for Hot Girl Summer. And the thing about Megan Thee Stallion, besides the fact that she has incredible knees, is beautiful and an icon of our generation, is that a lot of her songs have seen just um, scientifically, a shit ton of traction on TikTok. It's true. Uh, Megan Thee Stallion knows exactly what she's doing when she creates these songs that are sort of, you know, on a micro level, you could parse down to a 15 second clip for TikTok and envision a dance. I mean, I could not envision a dance, but <laughs> someone with talent <laughs> and the ability to make TikTok edits could envision a dance. I mean, there's the body challenge set to body by megan the stallion which is choreographed by jaquel knight the savage challenge which is set to savage by megan the stallion which is choreographed by kiki wilson both black dance creators and both of those challenges respectively dropped within days of the song dropping which is very important for this timeline basically for a dance challenge to kind of go viral the song comes out It's on the platform. Every single video you scroll by on your For You page is set to it. And then a dance challenge comes out. Dance challenges are incredibly important to the TikTok ecosystem. In fact, I think most people's impression of the app before they get on is that it's a bunch of teens dancing. Charlie D'Amelio, Dixie D'Amelio, Addison Rae. You're sort of... I don't know, generically hot white teen to early 20-something with a decent sense of rhythm. But the thing about this kind of dynamic, which is that both the app and the app's most popular influencers got famous off of, is that these dance challenges are almost universally created by Black choreographers, only for white people to get famous off of them. Charlie D'Amelio, who we seem to only mention in this context, was and got famous off of being called the CEO of The Renegade. The Renegade, which was created by Jalea Harmon. We've explored this dynamic on our show. If this sounds familiar, you might remember we talked to Maya Johnson and Chris Cotter, who are two Black Texas teenagers who created the Up Challenge, which also involves having really good knees. Uh, (laughs) Perhaps the secret here is actually just being a teen. Uh, (laughs) Only to then have Addison Rae be invited on the Jimmy Fallon show to perform their dance with no credit to them and frankly, 
less sauce. Not, I think yeah, is the t- I, I was again to the sign of- the scientific term for what you're saying. Yes, less. <laughs> I'm sauce. all about scientific terms. Yes. The other thing to remember here is that this isn't just the invisible hand of the influencer market. It also was quite literally how TikTok was designed, is designed. Uh, TikTok admitted to deprioritizing videos from people who are, quote, susceptible to bullying based on their physical or mental condition, which, what does that mean? Sort of unclear. Uh, (laughs) But if you wanted to take a guess, that is fat people, people of color, people with disabilities, visible disabilities, people in, like, shittier looking houses, which is how you get Addison Rae and Charlie D'Amelio. Madison, did you see the New York Times Hulu doc, Who Gets to Be an Influencer? I did. I did indeed. I'm glad you're taking this here. (laughs) What's fascinating about that doc is that it follows um, a group of Black TikTok creators who all join um, a collab house, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a bunch of people living in a house together, making videos together because kind of like cross-platform videos just tend to do better when you collab with people who have bigger audiences and the people kind of learn to expect them. There's a lot of writing about collab houses. But so they created the first black collab house. And one of the creators in the house, Kaylin Castle, talks about how the algorithm doesn't like dark things. And so to keep her views up as a dark skinned black woman, she dyes her hair pink. This is gonna sound crazy to you guys, but I originally started the half and half because I am a darker individual, like my skin tone is darker. I'm a black woman on TikTok and the algorithm likes bright things. So in order to brighten myself up to do battle on the algorithm, that's why I did the half and half. I wouldn't dye it back black kind of, but I know I don't know how my numbers are gonna react to it. It's just this very intimate knowledge of this app that she's trying to make her living off of that is fundamentally just biased against her and that she also knows is driven by her creative output and the creative output of people who look like her. And so all of this is an undercurrent to the dance challenge of it all. There it is. (laughs) And recently, I'm going to say there's been, I guess, somewhat of a change TikTok apologized last year to our Black creators and community who have felt unsafe, unsupported, or suppressed after the company was um, accused of censoring videos that were referring to the Black Lives Matter movement. So that was last summer. Weren't we just talking about how that was Mm -hmm. still happening in Mm -hmm. 2021? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like statements have been made Things have not actually changed. One of the things that has changed, though, is that people will at least include a dance credit in the description for the video or in the comments. But it's still this very obvious thing where the original video, as in the person creating the dance challenge, will have like 300,000 views. And then a white TikTok star will do it and they'll have like 4 million. If you've ever seen in the caption of a TikTok like DC and then a tag, that's Mm -hmm. dance credit and the, the OG choreographer. And so that's a kind of percolating background to thought shit. This is what's brewing under the surface. And again, thought shit seemed like yet another song poised for TikTok success. The lyrics include the line, hands on my knees, shaking ass, all my thought shit, 
which I is I can't dance and even I have like a, a general <laughs> understanding of what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, it's like you're giving you're giving a cha-cha slide Cupid shuffle instruction here, you cha-cha know. Cha-cha slide. <laughs> like take Megan it back knows, now, y'all. <laughs> Megan knows what she's doing and that's because in a lot of ways both artists and the music industry writ large rely kind of on the unpaid labor of these dance creators in helping their song go viral. And you know a lot of artists kind of acknowledge this dynamic by spotlighting dancers on their social media. Like Cardi B put Maya and Chris on her Instagram when Natasha Bedingfield's song Unridden randomly went viral at the beginning of the year. She met up with Ronnie Boy. Ronnie Boy is a dancer on TikTok who is uh, well known for this kind of flash mob choreography that he made to go with Natasha Bedingfield's Unridden this spring. Clout is cool, you know, views in this world are money, but money is also money, you know? So maybe rather than just spotlighting dancers after they create these challenges, you could partner with them beforehand because anybody who doesn't know at this point that even if, you know, a Maya or a Chris make a dance challenge, they're still not going to get as much credit as the white people who will be doing it after them is kind of just willfully ignorant. Black creators, like we mentioned, are fed up with the racist algorithm, with the platform's empty promises, and have decided to demonstrate just how important their unpaid labor is to the app's ecosystem. Uh, They're going on a strike under the hashtag Black TikTok Strike, which is the, I think, I feel confident saying the app's first real collective action. And after the break, we'll be back with the how, why, and what happens next. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back with a timeline, because we love to give y'all a timeline. We love chronology. (laughs) So, that shit drops on June 11th. So the song drops, and there are no dances. Who's the first person to point this out? So it's always kind of hard to say who's the first on TikTok, because TikTok kind of hates chronology. But one of the first people to point this out is Eric Lewis, a Black TikToker. And he did this absolutely incredible fake out where you get to the part in the song where it's like hands on my knees and he's like in the frame of the video and he's like you know doing his little like bounces to get warmed up and on the screen there's a caption that says made a dance to this song and then you get to the part of the song that is the instructions and then he just flips off the camera and on the screen reads psych this app will be nothing without black people That video now has somewhere around 500,000 views. 
there's a there's a turn here that is fascinating to me and that I will literally never get over. Somehow this non-dance is stolen. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> it's not a dance and yet these three white women decide to basically do the exact same moves and that video has upwards of a 1 million views before it was deleted probably because Eric Lewis stitched them and was like, y'all, what the fuck? Come on now. It wasn't even a dance. It wasn't even a dance. And y'all took that shit and ran with it. It got 900k views. It's giving conquistador. Juan Ponce de Leon. Hernan Cortez. What the fuck? In an interview with Vox, he said, As Black folk, we've always been aware that we've been excluded and othered. Even in the spaces we've managed to create for ourselves, whether it be in music, fashion, language, or dance, non-Black folk continuously infiltrate and occupy these spaces with no respect for the architects who built them. And a very accurate uh, encapsulation of what exactly happened with this kind of first shot in the strike. Wow, the strike, the strike got violent. <laughs> I mean, this they do. Like, we can do a labor history if you want. Let me slap. I on do want, but buttons. we don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on next week, we will take you through the entire history of American labor movement. But right now, the strike very organically unfolds from videos like Lewis's and this one from Captain Ken Knuckles. Black folks say, you know what? You want to take our shit? We're not gonna give you a dance. Fuck <laughs> shit. Looking at the trend of this sound, it's just like, damn, black people said enough. <laughs> Yikes. I never thought I'd live to see the day that we actually go through with it and see just how much some of y'all need us, especially with making dances that y'all can rip off and say that y'all created it. To take a look at it from the number side, the trends that they're describing, Thoughtshit has been used only about 400,000 in about 400,000 TikTok videos as of July 1st. By comparison, Savage, 22 million. Body, 1.4 million. A big, a big jump. A big jump. And if you look at the videos in the Thought Shit Sound, as Captain Ken Knuckles just said, they're struggling. They are struggling to figure out how to dance to this song. It is hilarious. Not only because a lot of them actually end up just combining, and by them I mean white creators, end up just combining dance moves from other viral dance challenges, but also because I just am convinced that they, they like don't have any sort of listening comprehension because the most popular interpretation of this dance, and by dance I mean this non-dance, seems to be turning away from the camera, waving their arms in the air, and then like walking out of the room. This interpretation completely ignores the lyrics to the song. It's like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And there's actually this really great video by Exo Sugar Bunny, a white ally in this fight, (laughs) who is just like, I never want to hear any of y'all complaining about shit ever again. I don't ever want to hear another fucking white woman ever say that TikTok dances and TikTok trends aren't entirely stolen from black women because a black woman has yet to give a dance to this song. And hear me out. Megan says, hands on my knees. 
shaking ass on my thought shit. And the white women said, Stand there and wave your arms like my Aunt Karen. Yeah, I literally have an Aunt Karen at a wedding. The instructions are right there. I don't know. I started waving my arm in my recording You look studio, a little like AKA one of those things closet. in front of a car dealership. <laughs> That's what they look like, though. <laughs> I just, we are the people of Cotton Eye Joe. We love an instructional <laughs> dance jam. Not we the people of Cotton Eye Joe. I look. <laughs> We don't have a culture. We just have Cotton Eye Joe. A song that's maybe about an STI. We don't have time for that. But the thing is, the diffused nature of both the strike, because it is fundamentally grassroots, and TikTok means that some people have actually choreographed dances, which is their right. And also because controversy is the best way to get views, as we have said so many times on this show. But the thing is, none of them have stuck. Uh, not least because a lot of them actually require talent. Talent that I myself do not possess, let's be real here. And most of these white people on TikTok definitely do not possess either. <laughs> the thing about dance challenges that I feel like a lot of people don't really know or acknowledge, and that Maya and Chris definitely said in the interview that we did with them, is that they are very intentionally created to be done by a lot of people at like very different levels of skill. Rather than a typical choreo that you would see from a professional choreographer where they are assuming the people who are going to be doing it are also professional dancers. So it's just really uh, striking that these creators are being benevolent in sharing their gifts dumbed down for us and then also having their shit jacked. <laughs> like, And because Black creators are choreographing these dances in a way that they are learnable by a mass audience. That's how you get Charlie D'Amelio, CEO of The Renegade. If you've ever watched Delia Harmon do Renegade, it's imbued with such a different energy and <laughs> sense of rhythm. It, it's almost like watching sauce. a different dance. <laughs> yes, sorry. It is imbued with much more So I, I can't say that. You're going to save that clip forever. <laughs> I kind of just wanted to hear you say that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's almost like watching something entirely different, even though move for move, it's roughly the same. TikTok's response to all of this, because I guess in the last year, they've learned they actually need to put out statements about racism. I don't know who made them. I don't know who told them they needed Blog to do that. Blog post time. In a statement to Teen Vogue, they said, TikTok is a special place because of the diverse and inspiring voices of our community. And our Black creators are a critical and vibrant part of this. We care deeply about the experience of Black creators on our platform, and we continue to work every day to create a supportive environment for our community, while also instilling a culture where honoring and crediting creators for their creative contributions is the norm. Okay, then build features that allow users to do that. Yeah, it's just like instilling a culture, like the dance credit, the fact that people are now giving dance credits have literally nothing to do with TikTok. Um, with TikTok proper, with TikTok yes. engineering. <laughs> yes, no, people are putting them in the captions. They are building workarounds to this. So it's like, you care deeply, do you? Because the thing is, without black creators, your app would not fucking exist anymore you would not have well, the clout that you Rachel, currently do hmm? it, it would exist it would just be you know people making food in toilets spaghetti and meatballs <laughs> on their kitchen counters oh my god it would be musically basically a bunch of white teens lip singing the songs of the things about this strike that are the most interesting to me besides the fact that it is a bunch of like really young people coming together and kind of collectively showing the power that they hold is that it's 
kind of indirect contradiction to the individualistic, somewhat capitalistic (laughs) motto of support Black businesses that gets trotted out after a Black person is killed. There is some kind of reckoning with racism. And supporting Black businesses is great, but it's a very individual kind of like one-to-one action. It's giving me, if I rise, we all rise. But what the TikTok strike demonstrates is the power of organized labor. I'm putting on my union hat right now, but it is just demonstrating like what happens when you collectively decide to do something rather than individually. Because yeah, it's fine and good to, for Charlie to finally give dance credits, for individual dancers to finally get their due after Addison Rae performs on Jimmy Fallon. But like, it, what those actions don't do is stop the cycle from happening again. And what the black TikTok strike has done is stop the cycle before it can even begin. And I'm just kind of in awe of the fact that these young creators are just on this app, just organizing what is basically like a wildcat strike and demonstrating the fact that like organized labor is the future. I can't believe I'm about to invoke this, but I was reading about how all the men on The Bachelorette basically unionized (laughs) on an episode the other night. They did unionize. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> stronger together, baby. <laughs> it just, it really is a stronger together. And I do think that so much of the last like four to five decades of black political action has been very individualistic and capitalistic. It is, again, the if I rise, we all rise kind of motto, like the black faces in high places kind of thing. And like what the past two, three, 17 years have demonstrated is that me buying a coffee from a black coffee shop really doesn't fucking change shit. Like, it maybe makes me feel better. It maybe makes white people feel better when they do it. And like, it helps that individual coffee shop owner, but does it stop, you know, the black person on the street outside that coffee shop from being harassed by police? No. The only thing that can change that is like collective action. And I really feel like what this strike has demonstrated is just how powerful like the collective is. So what's next then? The ideal version of this, because TikTok, as you described, is an app absolutely powered by black talent. Is it TikTok working more closely with black creators, paying black creators, artists like Megan Thee Stallion working hand in hand with black choreographers for rollouts on TikTok as alongside, you know, the music video or, or the, the, the track drop? I hope it's all of those things. But that's the thing about the nature of this strike is that because it is so grassroots and so diffuse and it is largely voluntary, I mean, as most strikes are, but like no one is sending out like a WhatsApp text to, to being like, okay, on July 5th, we will start choreographing dances again. So it's honestly unclear as to what happens next. Like, what happens when a song drops in, like, two weeks that is just all over the app and would be easy to go viral with the dance challenge? Are people going to cross the quote-unquote picket line? I don't think even the people participating in the strike even really know, like, when they're going to stop. But the longer they go on, the more powerful it gets. Because let's be real here, the app has been kind of dry without it. Solidarity forever. (laughs) (laughs) 
This is now a union podcast. I mean, it's always a union podcast. We're unionized. Have you met us? Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so definitely subscribe. It's free, the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about us. Tell your comrades about us. Follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod or email us at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader. Our supervising producer is Derek John. Forrest Wickman is Slate's culture editor. Gabe Broth is editorial director of audio. See you online. Or on the picket line. <laughs> Sorry, did you say incredible knees? She has incredible knees. <laughs> that just clicked. She does. She does. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Hi. This is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.